0: Banning the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films, and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia.
1: Oh, it's that time of year where carolers are singing and you're listening to episode 141 of the Down and Nerdy podcast. And honestly, Nick, I was thinking about it as I was watching, watching Rudolph the other day. I don't think Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is in a
2: shared universe with Santa Claus coming to town. I, I don't think so either. I mean, there's that scene at the end. I think it's actually, if you really think about it, Rudolph's got one of the most traumatizing moments. And it's at the end credits when the, the elf throws out the bird who can't fly out of the sleigh. Not only that. I've got more, I've got
1: evidence to actually prove this. Look at the Santa Claus from Rudolph and his eyes. Are They're re- black eyes, are right? Re-
2: are we really fucking doing this right yes, now? Yes, we are.
1: We're doing this right now. <laughs> oh, my and God. And then you go to Santa Claus coming to town, he's got the big blue eyes, right? Right. You, you can't just go to the small black eyes. Not the same universe, not to mention Rudolph. Santa's a dick, okay? And then all of the other ones he inspires hope to, even the year without a Santa Claus, inspiring hope to children everywhere. Not the same universe. They're not connected. Doing it right now.
2: I'm just sitting here stunned that you've sat around all day, thought about this. I did. I really did. Is your life that sad? No. It's just that when you have a
1: toddler, these are the things you think about <laughs> You now. think about, gee, how dark is the Rankin-Bass universe? Well, you know, the, everything's, it's all connected. Now we're going to be talking about a shared universe kind of thing true. coming up in this we can Geek Tame. So I'm thinking about, it, I'm like, you know what? I don't think it's the same universe. I really don't. No, I mean, you want to bring Ro- Rudolph's Shiny New Year in? That's fine. You you go ahead and do that. I'm not going there. All I'm saying is, I don't
2: see a shared universe here. So Rankin and Bass, what's going on? I'm just picturing Yukon Cornelius. You know how he has a pickaxe. And he's like, oh, he yep. licks it. I'm just picturing him doing like rails off the pickaxe. Yeah, <laughs> he was a little whacked out. So I he, he, and it wouldn't imagine, surprise me. Who just
1: falls off a cliff right. with the bumble? I mean, you're you're basically you know the cliff is there. You were just there. You're getting ready to fall off the cliff and you just go.
2: Yeah. That well, guy, it, he, his head wasn't well, right. What well, well, was well, you don't up. know is that there was actually a love story there between the Bumble and Yukon. It's actually, <laughs> it actually called Bumbleback Mountain. Brokax Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. We talked about Bumbles. We talked about continuity in the Rankin-Bash universe for some odd reason because you have a sick twist I'm just mind. saying. Dude, having a kid has, like, warped your mind. Uh, that's true of pretty much anybody I <laughs> he's know. He's subscribing to YouTube channels you have no idea yeah, what he's doing. The less said about that, the better. Let's just, <laughs> let's just say that right now. But with that being said, I'll introduce myself first. I am, of course, the... Still utterly shocked and confused, Merc with one arm, Mick Botagly alongside, and I'm James Witham, dropping Christmas knowledge on you that you've never had dropped on you before. Dude, it's just—I don't know what it is. If we're sitting in a studio, it looks like it's set of Stranger Things or what? Yeah, but I well, mean, I mean,
1: what other what what better way to do it, man? I mean, I mean, this is the way that you're supposed to decorate now. Plus, it requires very little thought. You just basically toss Christmas lights up,
2: write the alphabet, and you're good. Well, you know, it requires a little thought, too, is putting on a mask. Of course, talked to Brandon Easton last week, of course, the writer of Mask from IDW Publishing, and he gave us a lot of really good inside info and some really honest opinions of course some of them are actually going to make it into our best of in a couple of weeks
1: that's right and remember we did that last year where we kind of picked our 10 favorite interview moments yeah. from the year and threw it up on our best of show that is coming I mean if you want to tweet us at Dan nerdy 757 at uh, downnerdy757 that is our twitter handle yes not, ok just yes. making sure because I'm still on the whole crossover thing <laughs> um, no if you've got a favorite interview moment from throughout the year that you want us to add in there I mean we're open to suggestions, of
2: course. Right, and, and, and you know, going back to Rudolph, it's like, when I was watching Rudolph, because, of course, the time of the year a lot of stuff's being played over and over again, every time they show the Island Misfit Toys, I'm like... I'm them! That's me! <laughs> Have you ever met a man who can't climb trees? That's me! <laughs> oh, We're boy. on the island of misfit podcasters. <laughs> We've been that
1: pretty much since day one. Let's. And you know what else I was thinking today? This is really getting bad now. I'm thinking... Why can't they make cell phones out of the same material that Rudolph's nose is made out of? Right? Because Rudolph's seen some shit, right? <laughs> He's seen some shit. Yeah, and his nose has never broken. <laughs> Yet you drop your phone on carpet and right. it shatters into a million pieces. Right. And they say, oh, Gorilla Glass and all that stuff. No, it's still Probably breaks that, somehow. But
2: maybe, like, you know how people lose their phones? Why can't they pull, like, Rudolph nose technology into phones where, like, you can find your phone if you lose it in the dark or something.
1: I can already see it now. Rudolph's going to have Bluetooth wireless charging. It's
2: gonna... Santa's going to be okay, Rudolph, full power. <laughs> <laughs> Santa's just in her gaming playing league. <laughs> or just, uh, uh, no, but, I mean... Next thing you know, they have all these these red Rudolph light technologies and looks like the fucking red light district. Hey. You <laughs> There's never reindeer know. dancing in the windows and the screens. <laughs> Again, having not having the shared universe, these are things you might be able to explore. It's huh? a really dark. This is a really, really dark did. and very yeah. adulterated rank and bass universe. But that being said, come up next with two new comics this week, including The Return of Nova. That's come up next on the Down Nerdy podcast. This is writer Brandon Easton, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We pull out our long boxes, we discuss what we're reading this week, and James, I'll go first. So, a while back, we had Zach Kaplan on the show to talk about, of course, his series from Top Cow and Image Comics called Eclipse, and you know what? Hey... News came out a while ago. It's going to be an ongoing series. Yes. And you know what? We have Issue 4. It's out this week. So you know what I did? I reviewed and I read. Well, I haven't reviewed yet. I'm going to right now. I would hope you'd read it before you review. Right. It. That would be really good, actually. <laughs> I'm going to review Issue 4 of Eclipse. Of course, it's created and written by Zach Kaplan. The art is, of course, done by Giovanni Timpano. Chris Northrup is the colorist and... I mean, I gotta tell you, man, letters are also done by Troy, Petiri. and I have to tell you, what I love about Zach's writing is that when you read a comic, and this also goes to Troy's lettering as well, you can have an overabundance of word bubbles and letters and get lost in the shuffle. Here, not a lot in a sense to where it has a nice pace to it because this fourth issue pretty much deals with Bax. And the killer in this issue, and it's kind of going to be heading towards, I'm not going to spoil it, but the final showdown. Mm-hmm. And so you need to have that type of pacing in there that allows you to do that. And in issue three, we find out really who killed these people and why and everything else like that. And really, when you go forward with this, you really get pulled in. And remember when we had Zach on the show, I asked him about Celerity and what kind of yep. – uh, you know, you have this big corporation. They have to have a hand in it, and they do, but I'm not going to tell you what kind of a hand they had in it because you have to read this book because it's such a good damn series. And I got to tell you, the art, of course, by, by Giovanni and the colors by Chris have been consistent – throughout these four issues.
1: To me, the colors in this are kind of important because of right. the whole scorched earth aspect, not just because of you got to get the scenery right, but of course, but there has to be, because of the brightness, right. there has to be a certain hue that you need to capture, and when they're and underground, it that, has to be, you have to capture the darkness as well. And not
2: only that, going back to Zach's writing, what he does great and he's done well in the past couple issues is the first couple pages or so, are dedicated to 10 years ago, you know, when the, the blast happened, when, you know, the whole world went, you know, the sun turned burnt, started burning people alive and stuff. And, and he's he's given some time to that, and he's developed that nice, you know, backstory, if you will. And and that's really, it really shows. And th- throughout this fourth issue, again, there's a the chase sequence between, uh, you know, Bex, or Bex and... Uh, the, the the main, one of the antagonists, I should say, in this book, at least the one we've seen from the beginning. And it's really on your edge writing. It's, it has you on your edge, you know, they're jumping from things or falling from things. It really reminded me of when you watch the Daniel Craig James Bond, for example, at like Quantum of Solace, and he's chasing mm-hmm. the guy through the construction site. That's what this came off as, because, you know, Bax is bleeding, he's, you know, and he's. Chasing after this guy who's killed these people, and you know why is he able to stay out so you know, in the sun and not burn and everything yep. else? And we, you know, get some some clues and some ideas into why that is the way it is. But y- you look at this, and I gotta say, issue five is not coming out till March, which is a bummer, by the way. But what's great about this too is that you know Bax's right is his thoughts and the entire issue is. I want to save this guy, even though he's killed these people. I want to save him. I want to find out, you know, why he did what he did and all this other stuff. And that's the thing is that it gives him a redeeming quality. Where this isn't just a guy looking to put a bullet in somebody. This is a guy saying, you know what. This person is, is doing these horrendous things, but I really want to understand why. And that really brings up the interesting psychology of this. So After Steve.
1: all he's been through, too, by the right. way. It's not just that simple. He's not just this guy that, I love everyone. And no, everyone he's had major saying. loss. Right, exactly. So it's not like it's that easy for him to make that decision. And that's why I love this this book, too, is that... He has that quality about him, and it makes you go, man, if it was me, I don't know if I could do that. And to me, that's good writing.
2: And, and you know, this is a definite poll for me. This whole series, Zach, Chris, Giovanni, Troy, you've all done a fantastic job on this series, a wonderful job with Eclipse. And I, I'm just really, I really want to spend this time right now just to thank Top Cow an image for saying you know what we believe in this book we see all the things that this is you know going towards all the good things all the, the 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 people are loving it let's give it an ongoing series and deservedly so because you know this is a book where the way that the issue 4 ends if it ended a little bit differently you're like okay they would have been a great four issue mm-hmm. thing but this is now an ongoing series and I cannot wait till March. I smell a trade
1: paperback in the mix.
2: I hope. Just so. saying
1: I smell given the gap too, I, I well, smell a trade kind Well the
2: smell is also because of the burning flesh. Well but, then there's that, yeah. But what'd you do this week?
1: I actually, for the first time in a while, decided to try out something Marvel. One of the series that I that I enjoyed from about a year and a half ago or so was the Nova stuff. You know, so I enjoyed that, so when I saw Nova number one, I was like, you know what? Why not? Let's just, let's just throw something against the wall <laughs> let's, and see what happens. Let's throw
2: that $5 down and, and say, yeah. you know what, uh, I'm going to take a look at Nova.
1: So let's see what uh, Jeff Loveless and Ramon Perez were able to do with the writing. Of course, Perez does the art as well. Cards Colors by Ian Herring. And then letters by comic R. Albert Deschens. Now, here's the thing about this book. We have two Novas in this book. We have Richard Ryder, you know the story about everything that happened with Richard Ryder. And then we have Sam Alexander, who is the 15-year-old Nova, whose dad is the Black Nova and stuff like that, if you're not familiar with that. Now, before I even get started, Champions is referenced in this book. So it is an incontinuity
2: thing with Champions. Well, it makes sense because Nova is part of Champions. So, I mean, it makes sense to reference that. I think it would be kind of odd if they have this Nova book. And he's, it's not referenced at all. I just wanted to let people know that it wasn't like an
1: out-of-continuity thing where it's, hey, let's just tell a Nova story. No, right. this, this is in line with Champions. Now, I will say that when we get the, the Sam Alexander stuff, there's a lot of humor there. There's a There's actually a character that we're going to be seeing in the MCU soon. That makes an appearance in this book as well, I don't want to spoil who it is because it's actually kind of a funny sequence right. with this character as well. So there was a lot of humor there, and it's the typical teenager stuff with Sam, but you remember when you reviewed Champions? Right. And you said, you had me. We were right there, you had me. No,
2: this didn't happen, and did it? Then the same thing
1: happened you with you. You yanked it right out. Now, I will say, and this will probably make you go, uh, I, and there were times where I got a little bit of a Teen Titans Go vibe from this book. Okay. A little bit. Not a lot, but there was a, there was one specific part of the book where kind of the art changes, and it felt Ooh. a little Teen Titans-ish. Yeah. Teen Titans Go-ish. There is a very interesting twist in this that kind of combines the two Novas together. But the, the funny thing about Richard Ryder was, and I don't think this is a spoiler. Maybe if you, if you think it is, then maybe you, you fast forward 30 seconds. Not a lot of Richard Ryder in this book. He starts the book and ends the book, but there's barely any, and, and quite frankly, the ending was so random and with pretty much zero setup whatsoever that I'm like, when the, uh, I, you know how when you do, and I read this digitally, you know when you read something digitally and you don't know how far along you are because you're just in the middle of reading it? Right. I actually went to swipe. And you couldn't swipe anymore. And I'm like, wait a second, and then I looked at the bottom corner and it said, you know, in the next issue, blah, 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 and I went, wait, it's over? Right. This was the last... And I'm going... I just... you. How do you end it like that? And I get that there's... It's not going to be a one-shot. It's, it's, and it's not it, going to
2: stop here, but... It's kind of like when you go to a Kmart or any store and you had those little 25-cent rides in front of it and you put the quarter in, you're riding like, yay! And then 10 seconds after, it just stops. You're like, wait, that, that's it? So here's where I'm at with that then. Because <laughs> in those rides,
1: if you're having a good time, you say, Mom, can I have another quarter? And you go again because you had a good time. So I'm sitting here going... Do I have any change left? Oh, Do I have any man. change in my pocket here? Do I want to do this again? Is it worth 25 cents or should I go get some gum or something? Right. Because while it was funny in the same Alexander stuff and why, and while it is very interesting with everything that's happened with Richard Ryder, how they're gonna make this story go forward and, and what happens at the end?
2: It just it just comes out of nowhere. it's random.
1: And it wasn't interesting enough to make me go. See that's... Okay, I've got to find out what happens to him because it wasn't even really about
2: him until, uh, except for the very beginning and the very end. See, and that's the problem with this Nova series. Now, I haven't read Nova, but I mean, I'm talking about this new Marvel Now, Nova, with Richard Rider. And what was it, throughout the summer and stuff like that, Marvel's been saying, Rider's coming back, you know, they're teasing his return. And now you're saying he's not really in this book a lot. And that's really a big bummer. And really, in a sense, it's just, it's sad when you have this big thing, like, this person's coming back, but then they feel like a secondary or third character in their own story. I mean, and is he back?
1: Yeah. And could he be part of a, could he be a much bigger part of the future issues? Yeah. But you gotta make me want to get there. Right. That's the problem. And there was nothing necessarily wrong with the writing, per se, and the art was actually really good, but... I'm at the fence of, do I care now what's going to happen? And and the twist that I'm talking about that I can't mention, because it is a spoiler, it's one of those things where, like, is this enough?
2: Right. And will this actually make me want to keep going? See, and that's the thing I've I've noticed with the Marvel Now series, is that there's two things. They're either like Venom, which I reviewed on our website, which I wrote about a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, wow, this is great. You know, it's, it has me. I love the way it's going. This darkness, it's the in the route, the writing is going and the art as well. And then you have stuff like champions, like Nova, where you're like, this is good. But the ending really, de- de- you know, deterred me from wanting to pick up issue two, or really I'm on the fence. And really when you're on the fence, you're more leaning on the side of, ah, I don't know, man, because again, Part of it plays into the price. Now, Marvel's not the only yeah. one with $4 books, $5 books. But when a lot of their books are in that $4 range, you're like, man, I don't know if I can. You know, It's, it's not like, oh, this was an amazing book, but then like, the last page was just a, kind of a bummer. Where you're like, okay, I'll give it the extra 4 or 5 bucks and see where issue 2 goes. This is more... It's a solid story in a sense, but then it makes a change, and it doesn't have me, and it loses me, and I don't know where I am. I totally understand where you are.
1: And not only that, you have to really love one of the characters before even reading this book anyway to want to keep going, I think. And the humor wasn't enough because, for me... There are so many books that have that humor element in them that are so good that I get it from that. Like if this was something I was like, well, you know, there's not a lot of books that give me a chuckle out there. So maybe I'll keep this one for a couple issues just because uh, Sam Alexander's entertaining. No, I just didn't get that sense of I'm going to plunk down my hard-earned money to keep going with this. So it wasn't a terrible book, but just because it wasn't enough, I got to give it a drop. Really? A yeah, drop? Yeah, I gotta not a give pick it a, up, a drop. It's just not enough. It's not strong enough. Wow. And especially given what's happened with Champions and, and the re- review that you gave, and that it's just not strong enough to make me want to
2: spend $4 on the book. Yeah, that's understandable. That's very understandable. But coming up next, we're gonna be discussing two trailers this week. Find out what they are because This Week in Geek Tame is coming up next.
0: This is from Lucifer
1: Box and you're listening to the
2: Deep, Podcast. Here's a gift just for you,
1: nerds. We've got a double dose of geek tammit this week. A couple of trailers dropped, kind of unexpectedly. You don't expect this many trailers in December, but Nick, let's start out with something that we've kind of been looking forward to, and that's the revival of the Universal Monsters group with the Mummy.
2: You say we've been looking forward to I'm no longer looking forward to this. Well, we were
0: looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean
2: Yeah, and then the reason why is of course Universal released the trailer for the new mummy reboot, which of course stars Tom Cruise. And listen, there was reports earlier, we were talking about on the show previous times, where like, Oh, we wanted to be like our own Avengers, MCU, everything's tied together. So people thought, Okay, Dracula Untold, that's gonna be the start of it, you know, how Dracula became Dracula, right? Mm-hmm. Apparently, The Mummy takes place in today's age now, I guess, yep. and they just bypassed 200 or some odd years since Dracula, so somehow, and then all of a sudden there's that story where a director is like, oh yeah, it's not tied to anything, it's its own movie. I'm like, what the fuck is the point of Universal saying this movie we are tied, you know, mon- MCU our Monster Cinematic Universe, and yet you, you have your director come out and say, yeah, it's not tied to anything. It's a standalone movie. Well, we were talking about this off the year too,
1: and I think there's a lot of uncertainty in, unvo- involving around this because, first of all, bef- the day before the trailer came out, they had this little tease, right? The,
2: the trailer for the trailer. Yeah,
1: and then less than 24 hours right. later, there it is. So they were either really sure we've got a winner here or they were like, ah, you know, let's see what happens if we just release the trailer right. and find out how people react.
2: So and I, I think that, you know, let's let's dive into the trailer shall we so of course it's Tom Cruise and he's on this this helicopter with his with his fellow troops and whatever and and they have they found the tomb of the mummy they found this casket which has emotep in it and crash land Tom Cruise wakes up is he dead we don't know what the hell's going on we just see a bunch of body bags lying around and he just the only one which wakes up so you move on to that and it's just like your usual kind of adventure thing like there's an evil that's out there and everything else and you see the mummy waking up and destroying shit and just causing what appears to look like havoc and i gotta tell you man you know we had peter milligan on a couple weeks ago who writes the mummy for hammer comics which is of course a part of titan comics and he said you know there's nothing scary about really a, a six foot person wrapped in bandages true and he was right about that. So in a sense, like, okay, how can we adapt The Mummy for today's era? And the thing is, is, is I look at this movie and I say, okay, so do not tie to really anything. It's going to be a standalone, at least for what we know. It could be a stinger at the end. Who I knows don't know. at this point? Who knows? But the thing is, when you do a movie like The Mummy, The Mummy should not be the driving catalyst in this. The Mummy should kind of be the end of, like, the, the end construct of everything, you look at, when you look at, like, the science of it, you look at the gods, like Anubis and, and stuff like that, and you look at mummification, and just that idea, like, what he's doing in his comic, Peter Milligan's doing, you're like, that's what they should do in a movie. Like, that's exactly what they should do. You know, possession, and everything else like this, and 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 not make it an action-adventure movie, where this appears to be like. Well and i get what you're saying is that the
1: the the why should matter more than the what right and, and that totally makes sense to me but i'm just going to go off on a short rant here for a second and i'm going to open this up a little bit more is it are we kind of getting to the point where we're realizing that hollywood has no idea how to treat these monsters anymore i mean dracula untold victor th- frankenstein the list goes on and on and on about you know, how, t- how closely tied together these are. I understand all oh, that. Oh, yeah. But
2: you're, you're talking about I, Frankenstein.
1: At the same time. Yeah. Well, even that. But at the same time, you're showing us you have no idea what you're doing no. with these classic monsters. And you haven't... They had a chance to bring it back to the roots but still adapt it for a modern period and even time together, which I was fine with, but you're, the way in bringing the action-adventure thing, and you're absolutely
2: right, you don't have to it do doesn't that. Fit. But it's a crutch. And Well, here's the it's thing. It's a crutch to, to make to, people go to see it. To build on what you said about the, the whole action-adventure angle, the problem with I-Frankenstein, of course, outside of the terrible writing and a bunch of other problems, is that Universal, even when Dracula Untold... They, they're, they're moving away from what made these monsters great. You know, going back to what we talk about all the time with DC Rebirth. They brought him back to what made him so great. Bring these characters back to their horror elements. Try not to make them superheroes, but they try to do I, Frankenstein and stuff like that. The only really character in, in, a, in this type of mythos is Van Helsing, really. Like you could turn into some type of a, a protagonist, if you will, or whatever. But I think that the problem with this trailer is, is that, again... Tom Cruise is the focal point, but this is a movie where, again, like with Godzilla, where I fear that the humans are going to be the main focal point. Right, of and this. that was the other
1: thing I was going to bring up too. And the other, and the other fact that I'm never getting on any sort of airplane, helicopter, or anything, what have you, with Tom Cruise, ever. If right. I step on a flying apparatus and Tom Cruise is on it, I'm
2: leaving immediately. Right, and and the thing is, when you look at this, how they can what they could have done to make this differently. And, and again, I, the movie, we we only seen the trailer for it. So we haven't seen it yet. Obviously. Obviously. But say, for instance, I'm the, the, the Kevin Feige of this Universal Monster Universe. Okay, how could I make this for 2016? How can I get people back and excited after know, Dracula Toll wasn't really that great, and neither was I Frankenstein, and so on and so forth? First of all, get writers like Peter Milligan in who understand the horror aspect and, and realize, okay... There's only so much you can do with these characters. Let's see, focus on what makes them so great that we can do with them. Bring them back to their horror elements. Secondly, if you want to make it as a big, giant universe, you don't focus on the human characters because outside of Van Helsing because nobody gives a shit about who Tom Cruise is playing. No. Nobody cares about whomever these are human actors I are playing. Less, right. They care about the monsters, and that's what these movies are about. You know, you have some... some so, you know, no-name soldier or knight or whomever you have in these movies, and no one really cares. So what you do is you, you focus on, on the monsters and what made them so great. And then the, the third thing is you let the monsters win in the end. And then the reason why that's important is because I think Hollywood's afraid of people leaving the theater pissed off that all oh, the good guys didn't win. And the reason why I think that that is is because it's also something that they've been clinging to since the 1930s. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of people here listening to this a history lesson. So, King Kong. Everybody knows King Kong and how it ends where he gets shot off the Empire The original building. King Kong. I'll 1933. Make that clear, yeah. 1933 is King Kong. The reason why King Kong dies in the end was because there, really, there was a rule in Hollywood back then. That rule was if your movie has a monster in it, that monster has to die by the end. That was a movie. That was a rule that pretty much Highwood stood by for Makes a long sense. time Makes because sense the era, just yeah. you know, the time was in. And what's speed, what be you? Move away from that. If you have a mummy movie where we we're talking about this off air, where if you you know, where the mummy Imhotep leaves a massive destruction, where everybody for the most part is dead, and a certain team is trying to hunt them down, but you have like a couple people there who might not be such major characters, and you have to have them okay pull them themselves up and regroup and they have no experience how to do this, that's how you make it interesting or have to wear, make it bleak you know, where the mummy has won and now these monsters are coming together and oh my god, the world's in trouble. That was my point.
1: I don't think that it has to be a total devastating victory from said monster. But at least leave a couple of semi-significant survivors. They can go to somebody else and go go to other people and go, holy shit, what do we do? And then then have them say, well, we're dealing with a problem of our own. And then that brings in whoever they want to do next. And then, you know, if if and when these monsters do end up getting together and, you know, saying it's a standalone movie, whatever. If and when they do come together, they're not necessarily just going to get along and say, oh, you want to destroy the world? Hey, me too, kind of thing. That's not necessarily going to happen. So you don't know where you could go with that. And maybe that's putting the cart before the horse because this has to obviously be successful first. But to me, the biggest thing that bothers me is two things. The action-adventure thing and the other thing that you mentioned about focusing on the humans, because when you see Tom Cruise in a movie you like know, this... You know, he's in center stage. Right, exactly. So you, you're going to see a lot of Tom Cruise and maybe not a lot of emotep. And my problem isn't with her. She looks fine. Everything that they've done with her and in the trailer that I saw looked fine to me. I had no problem with that. It's I'm worried about the general execution and everything in between that's going to be going on.
2: That's My, my main worry with Emotep in this is that She's going to be a, a character in this who is going to be just a villain and is not going to have any substance whatsoever to it. Outside of, it's a mummy who's come back to life. And I right don't set. think that'll be her fault, though. No. is is what you're. I think that's what you're saying. But again, that's why it's important to when you're doing these these monster movies to have, especially with the mummy, you have, hey, you know, the these secret societies, you have these totally. gods, you have Anubis, you have... The, the signs of mummification, you know, and people getting, you know, again, going to, to the mummy Pan of sex, it was written by Peter Milligan, what does he have? He has a woman getting abducted into sex slavery who ends up getting picked up for another different reason, and that reason turns to another different reason, and then next thing you know you have this amazing Mummy comic series.
1: Yeah, the why, like like I was saying earlier, the why has to be important. Why is she here? Why is this happening? Why is she doing what she's doing in this particular setting other than, hey, somebody dropped me out of a friggin' helicopter, and now I'm here, kind of thing.
2: Right, and then our second movie, of course, is Transformers The Last Night. Now... I'm just going to say this. The trailer, for the most part, because it had such a serious tone to it, had me. And then you just hear, come on, guys. We're not going to let this happen. We're going to save the world. I'm Mocky Mock. Come on. I mean,
1: come I on, really Optimus. wish. What did I say after the Age of Extinction? Let's make a Transformers movie. With no humans in it whatsoever. Right. Let's make the Transformers. Then they were to do something like that too. Yeah, me? And, and again, it's the same exact premise. Who do you care about in these movies? Do you care about Marky Mark? Or do you care about the Transformers? Because I got to tell you, I don't think anybody's going to the theater to see Marky Mark and the only reason Josh Dumel's
2: still making any money. <laughs> Pretty much. But I mean, and that's the thing is like, you have this whole thing of like, oh my god, this looks like the, like you have. What appears to be Unicron? It better in. be. I it it tell better that be right now. It better be Unicron in this. And then you have, oh my God, Optimus is back, but he's fighting Bumblebee. But his eyes are purple. Does that mean Dark Energon? He's you know, possessed by Unicron, could or be. as we kind of both think, could that be Nemesis Prime?
1: And that could be as well. But I want to go back to something that you said when we were texting about this trailer after it came out. The whole Optimus fighting Bumblebee. Mm-hmm. Why give that
2: away in the first trailer? Why? Why show in the first trailer that Optimus is coming back? You already have, especially when you start off, the first sight we see of Optimus is, of course, after the fourth movie when he says, I'm going to go try and find my, the other Primes and go through the, the galaxy and try to find them. And you see him frozen floating through right. space. And then next thing you know, you see him come down, attacking Bumblebee. It's like, well, there goes the surprise factor of, is he going to come back or what?
1: You give away two things in one scene. Right. First of all, that he's coming back. And second of all, that he's quote-unquote evil, and he's fighting Bumblebee. Why? Why? What are you doing? Don't give me that, especially not in the first trailer. I mean, you want to give that up or hint at it a little bit later on, fine. I think you had to show that if it's going to be Unicron, I think you had to show that. Give me something. But that, why give us everything in one trailer? In, in
2: terms of tone, there's there's a tone that this movie's taking that kind of represents parallel uh, to, to another movie we've seen, which is, of course, Days of Future Past, where it's bleak, uh, looks toward more a little, a little bit more futuristic. I mean, of course, you still have the humans there as well who are we've seen from other past Transformers movies. But it has that sense of kind of the end-of-the-world feel to it, like something's happened. You know, you have the the narration of Anthony Hopkins, and you see all the destruction from the stadiums and everything else like that, and it looks like the the Autobots are on their last legs pretty much. You have that nice thing, but then you again you hear Mark and Mark just saying, come on, guys, we're going to save the world, yeah. You know, it's like, Oh Jesus Christ! You, yeah. you, you you just took me out of
1: it. You're you're ruining what you're trying to create, and and you're right. It's you're you're so excited at the beginning of the trailer, and then by the middle, you're going. It's the it's
2: the last two and Transformers have,
1: movies, basically. And,
2: and Anthony Hopkins. I mean, it's something he he does in lot of he he chews up scenery and stuff like that. I think he's Merlin. Could I, be. It makes sense because this is a movie where we see in the beginning it has some medieval feel to it. And then we see, you know, the Nazis and stuff like that as well. So, Anthony, you know, Anthony Hopkins could be playing Merlin throughout time. You'll know, hear his the original Merlin throughout the medieval times. And also during World War II, he takes the body of, you know, Winston Churchill or, or, or you know, or whatever. Right.
1: I mean, that that certainly could be. It would explain why he's still there, that's right. for sure. Um, I don't know, man. I, I want to love a Transformers movie again. And I don't know based on what we're doing now, if that's what's going to happen. Now, does some of the events that we're seeing in this possibly lead us to that drawn-in Hasbro universe? Because you kind of get that feel that, that maybe you're going to enter something in now because well, of the destruction that Transformers have brought. Maybe that draws in something else from the Hasbro universe in a, in a very, very initial stage.
2: Well, there's that story also came out this week about how they have six and seven planned out already what they want to do with it and we'll see what they want to do with it. Now of course one of the new characters in this movie, and I'm talking about the last night, is Hot Rod. Yep. And we think that, okay, if Optimus is possessed by Unicron or, you know, his evil clone, of course, Nemesis Prime comes to Earth and whatever, could this be the last I think there's been reports going around lately, at least this week, of like, yeah, this could be the last movie with Optimus Prime in it. And then what happens is you can get Rodimus Prime. But you brought up a very interesting point, as if they do the whole Rodimus Prime storyline.
1: Yeah, you've got to, at this point, draw in the, the female Transformers if you're going to not have Optimus. Right. I'm not saying that Rodimus Prime and some of the other characters aren't, aren't interesting enough to carry the load. But I mean, you can think about it—if you could get get RC in there, or if you get Windblade in there, or something like that—that that gives you a whole new chapter to explore and to move forward with. And these are very interesting characters that we've kind of yet to see, even really brought into the cinematic universe. So why not? If you're gonna at least push Optimus to the side for a while, bring them into the fold. I don't know why you wouldn't do that.
2: Right, and I think that you know wrapping up here, I think something that's important in this is that, you know, they have this new writer's room and we're interested in what they want to do. You know, they have the thing with the Bumblebee spin-off movie they wanna do and all those other things, but really what it what boils down to is I really wanna see and we just you just mentioned it, I really wanna see a Transformers movie with just Transformers in it. I wanna see a Battle for Cybertron movie. I yeah. wanna see, you know, something where you take the human element out of it because again, people go to see Optimus fighting Megatron and Bumblebee and whomever he else he's going to fight, but people you know give them something that they can attach to. We talked about this last week uh, with Brandon. Uh, You know something that they had that those people from the '80s. You of course you know grew up you know in the Transformers era and GI Joe era. You know. Something that, that resonates with the animated film fans, you know, and stuff like that. You will know, give them that kind of feel. For me, because I, I grew up in the Beast Wars era. Right. So, I mean, they want to do that. I'm all for it. I mean, that's fine, too, if they want to do that. But think, remember what
1: Michael Bay said. Michael Bay said, you're going to go see it because it's Transformers. Right. And it's always going to make money. But... Other than that, why are people going to see it? Because it's giant robots transforming into things and fighting each other. And explosions. I mean, that's the reason you're going to see it. You're not going to see it. You are not going to see this movie for any human in the movie at all. I don't care how hot they are or what name they are. You're not going there for them. You're going there for the Transformers no matter who you are. So... Roll the dice, take some chances, and give us a Transformers movie,
2: please. Says the man with the uh, Cybertron House subscription. I'm just saying. You might as well do it, (laughs) right? (laughs) Just do it! Yeah. Apparently, Optimus Prime was uh, Mr. November for you, wasn't he?
1: Yes, he was.
2: Yes, he was. Come next, Nerd News. Stay tuned. This is Echo Tellum, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, nerds, it's that time. We grab our controllers, we turn on our PlayStations, and we see what's going on around the Internet, because it's time for what, James? Nerd Nerd news! news! And, of course, I mentioned PlayStation, because people are probably thinking, the fuck, man, Xbox is still here! Xbox, Team Xbox! Calm your tits. Yeah, go ahead get slim, son. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You just sound like a dad who's trying to be all cool in front of his son's friends. Why I do it. Gotcha. gotta practice I know I know you have a kid I know that kids my nephew but I mean oh god Listen
1: man if he starts doing something he shouldn't be that's my weapon
0: <laughs>
2: I'll embarrass you in front of your friends and I'm good at it <laughs> So gotta gotta get the practice in every now and then But we mentioned or I mentioned PlayStation because PSX of course was this past weekend and Wow, it was you know some news that came out. Of course, Nac Two is coming out, which not a lot of people are really like. Oh Jesus man. Christ, man! But really, the two big games we're gonna start about. Of course, I think the, the really the big one. Now, of course, there's Death Stranding as well. We gotta look at that. And Jesus Christ, I know it's Hideo Kojima. Holy shit, is that game weird as hell? Yeah, and the new footage that they showed. Yeah. Man. By the way, I gotta applaud Guillermo del Toro for saying yes, "fuck Konami." Yes, that yes. was great, but I mean. When you look at at the first game, of course, which really got a lot of people excited, me, I know you as well, are a little bit weary, and it's The Last of Us Part Two. Yeah. Now, they showed the trailer. This is a a game that really people are like, oh, we want a a sequel to this. We want a sequel to this. Well, we now know what that is in the trailer. We're not going to go piece by piece by, but pretty much... It takes place, of course, after the first Last of Us. Ellie and Joel are older, especially Ellie. She looks to be older than her teens, probably about 18, Definitely 19, late teens, yeah. Late teens. And for those of you who haven't played the first Last of Us, pretty much the ending surrounds the Fireflies saying we want, you know, she could be the key to a cure, but in order to get that cure, we have to kill her and stuff like that. And Joel pretty much lies to her and stuff about the Fireflies. Turns out, this is just from what I'm guessing in the trailer, because you see the house and all the the dead bodies, and you, before you see the Firefly sign, I think Ellie finds the truth out about the yep. Fireflies and their true intentions for her, and says, "Wait, these motherfuckers wanted me dead, and all this other stuff. Screw that, man."
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that that's very a uh, very good call. I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly. What it is, and hey, rightfully so. You you want to kill me in order to get ki- no that yeah that sounds legit right, right. yeah I, no but you know and visually it looks just incredible it's right. visually striking but at the same time wasn't the Last of Us one of those games where you kind of looked at it in a bottle and said you know what this as a standalone game was just so good
2: right and, and that's the thing is that you know I I play, after I played it I beat it I'm like. This is great. This is a great standalone game. You know, but of course, it's the video game industry. They everything needs to have a sequel now. And also I think that this goes to, to some gamers as well. You know, a lot, a lot of people like open endings, especially in certain games, True. Know, like the open the way they're ending. So, they're like we want that closure. Well, you're hopefully going to get that closure now with the second one in a set. I use air quotes when I say yeah. closure because you can get this game, and it can be like wow, that, that, the ending really wasn't good, you know? And my thing was, the way the, the first Last of Us worked was you told Ellie and Joel's story. Like, you, if you want to make a sequel, that's fine, but go with other survivors. Right,
1: and you didn't need to tell any more of their story, no. is my point. And the thing is, is that, sure, you, you definitely don't want it open-ended and you want that closure, but like you said, to your point, if you don't get that... Are you still going to think of this fondly now? Right. And then, I mean, we're talking about a Last of Us movie still. Is that going to affect you wanting to maybe see a Last of Us movie? Because now you're like, well, you know what? Screw this franchise because I'm over it now.
2: Well, not just that, but, I mean, Sam Raimi has been talking about, you know, the Last of Us movie and stuff like that for a while. And my thing is, by doing a second game, Sony and Naughty Dog are looking at like, okay – if we're gonna do a movie, now we have more stuff to pull from. You know, we don't just have one game; we can have two games or more, and non including DLC as well. Right. But then you're pushing it, and right, pushing it, right. and pushing and, it. And where this can go from the Last of Us Two, it can go into unnecessary sequels, and you end up just beating the the, the franchise to death. And I look at, at Ellie, and of course you're gonna be. This is her story. You're going to be playing as her. Uh, if you have had the DLC you know which which in the first game which I have and it showcases how Ellie got infected in the first place which was pretty fun and interesting as well I think that you look at at this series as a whole as I do and I'm weary about it now part of me because I do this this is my job I, I host a show about video games and comics and stuff like that and I'm a gamer so part of me feels obligated to play the the sequel oh, of course yeah but at the same time, I'm worried. I'm weary. You know, this isn't like Final Fantasy 15 where I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna play this. It's gonna be amazing." Yep. And it is. And it's just as a game where I'm like, "This is." At the end of the day, this is only gonna have two types of people. It's gonna have people that say, "This should never have been made. This is a cash grab," which a lot of sequels are. I think we can agree with that. Most sequels are. Yeah. Or this was amazing. This is great closure. Hopefully, if they do a third one, they're gonna you know use some other survivors and stuff like right. that. But of course, that wasn't the only game that really grabbed a lot of people's attention. We talked about last week Marvel vs. Capcom for the possibility of that happening. Well, it's happening, except it's gonna be called Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. And I mean, we saw the trailer, which is again, it's it's Marvel Capcom. You know, characters fighting each yeah, other. Yeah, that's what you'd expect. It's what you expect. You know, it's not really a story because it's a fighting game. For well, the there is going to be a story mode, though. That's the interesting. Which is going to be really interesting. You know, and how are you going to do that? I mean, I know Injustice has done it well in the past, right? But how are you going to do that? Right, because I, I the, the the terrible thing that brings me back to this is. Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe. Well, and that's why I brought it up. <laughs> yeah, because Mortal Kombat for DC Universe is a terrible game, because, especially in the story mode, because you're trying to meld these two universes together and you're kind of like, okay, how can Marvel and Capcom join one another, and And you want to explain why there's conflict?
1: There's conflict because people have been loving these games all over the years and they want to keep playing them. That is why there's conflict. Because we want to do... We want Mega Man to fight Captain Marvel. This is what we want. That's why you're making this game and for no other reason, really.
2: Right. And, of course, we talked about the whole X-Men thing as well last week. We're not going to really talk about that now, but I think that when you look at this game, I'm going to get it because it's... Well, this is Capcom. I I love fighters. I think, you know, as somebody who owned a Dreamcast, and I'm not sure if you own a Dreamcast or not. I don't think I ever had a Dreamcast. I had a Dreamcast, and the best games on the Dreamcast were the Capcom fighters. You had Power Stone. You had, of course, the Street Fighter games. And just a bunch of others, and it's just really, really great. Of course, Marvel vs. Capcom Two is always, yeah. always the pinnacle. I can tell you that fighters for me.
1: Those games were one of the reasons I still went to the arcade. Right. I can tell you that right now, and there was always a line for that. So that's one of the reasons I did that. But one of the other interesting things that I think is going to be one of the keys of this game is the fact that the Infinity Stones are in play now. Yeah, they're actually going to be. You'll be able to use some of the Infinity Stones in the game, and I think they only showed two. Uh, are they revealed two of them? Obviously, you're probably going to be able to use them all, but it'd be very interesting to see how that plays a factor because, I mean, will that go both ways? Can you, like,
2: steal an Infinity Stone as a Capcom person or, or something like that? Or it would be interesting, you know, now we talk, We talked about the story mode. What if Dr. Wily gets an Infinity Stone and puts it in, you know, one of his... Robots, you know, who knows? What if Mega Man puts it in the in the in the gun? And the man? gun just boom like that. That could be
1: very interesting. Like an and it modifies it or something right? like that, like the like the time stone or something. Right. Make, you shoot it and, it and it makes you reverse in time, but not Mega Man or something. It'd be interesting.
2: It'd be pretty interesting, or like a time stone where like. It takes away the damage you just took you just took from another person. Turns
1: them into babies. Pretty And all mu- of a yeah. sudden it's Marvel v- it's Capcom versus
2: babies. Mega Man's just a little chip. <laughs> 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 but I mean, overall, I mean I-, I can't wait to see what they're gonna do with this. And again, the whole X Men thing, you know, I think they'll find a way I think to balance out that out. In some sort of way. I and mean, there's so many MCU characters that they could right. really use anyway that I, mean, I guess just, you'd be fine. I mean, just give me Deadpool and I'm happy. Hopefully that happens. We'll see because know, that's an x Realm thing, so... Well, I mean, he, I mean, there is hope because he was in the last one, so I mean... But
1: but they pulled a lot of those games from the
2: PlayStation and Xbox stores true. because of the license and stuff, so we don't know. Oh, damn it. Just, you just have to take away my joy, don't yes, you? Yes, I did. All the time. Well, speaking of joy, one thing that was joyous to watch last week, of course, was the big Invasion crossover, of course, on the CW. That involved Supergirl, The Flash, Arrow, and DC's Legends of Tomorrow. And James, the ratings are in. And I swear to God, I I was so joyous when I saw this. For This four-part crossover gave the CW its biggest ratings in six years. I think it's safe to say... We're gonna see one of these crossovers every year. And didn't they open the door
1: for that at the very end of the crossover? Oh, they did. With that little portal opener that Cisco gives Supergirl. Now, speaking of Supergirl, it was the most watched episode of the season, kind of matched the, the premiere of three point five million viewers. Flash actually had its most watched episode in two years. Four point one five million viewers. Arrow was the most watched and highest rated episode since the last crossover, which is a three point five five million, and DC's Legends of Tomorrow, as you could probably imagine. It's highest rated episode ever at $3.39 million. And mind you,
2: that's before it's going to be moved to Tuesdays after Flash.
1: Exactly. So that's a nice little boost heading into that. Man, I you want to talk about doing a crossover, right? And Arrow doing its 100th episode the way that you should really do a landmark episode. And they did it in a way that didn't seem cheesy or hokey or clip-showy. And they gave you everything you wanted in, in this little kind of schism of the crossover. They
2: found a way to tie Arrow in to not only the crossover and just the whole Dominator storyline, but also 100 episodes. Let's bring back everybody. Yep. Even if it's just a hologram like Tupac. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? But, I mean, oh, geez, now I can imagine Oliver's dad and, like, uh, Deathstroke just doing a, a fucking rap. Oh, that would
1: be great. Even though, <laughs> how many times does
2: Deathstroke die in this crossover? A lot.
1: <laughs> he he
2: really was like the Krillin of the episode. He was like the Bill Murray from Groundhog Day <laughs> of the DC crossover. Right, right. You know, but I mean, you, you find this way of, of what they did. Again, they bring back people like, like Tommy a little bit in the end. They yep. see, you know, they bring back Laurel as well. And and you, sir, were like, not going to cry. I'm not gonna so cry mad at
1: myself when he's trying. When Laurel comes out and says, "What's going on?" and he says, "We have to go." I'm like, "Don't do it! Don't do it!" And then you start feeling it well up a little bit, you know. And he's like, and then Sarah's like, "Some
2: things you just can't change." I'm like, "Don't do it! <laughs> don't you? Don't know." No, I'm not going to do this. And your wife looks at you and just goes, just shakes her head like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> right, this, is, exactly. this is the man I married. <laughs>
1: but I mean, it was it was just such a great way to do it. And, and at the end, right when you see the the uh, Return of the jedi ass hologram right. kind of there before they sort of step through and say, all right, enough's enough, we're going back because we've got stuff to take care of kind of thing. It was just, it was uh, the whole crossover really yeah. was so well done. And they... They made it almost not feel like a crossover at times too, which I love. They still allowed the shows right. to carry their own stories, which I thought was
2: really great. And that's the thing about Supergirl, especially the Supergirl's episodes. Really, it kicked it off. And of course, you see the you know the, the portals and, and and you know stuff yep. like that, the breaches throughout the episodes. You're kind of okay. That's how they're tying in a little bit. You get a little excited, but really, you know, some people are like, oh, it really was like the least. Crossover, but like, yeah, but it's kicking it off. So you know, remember, she's st- she's on a different earth. She's on what, like Earth thirty-four, right, exactly. or something it's like that. 34, 36, right. something like that. You know, some some measurements to sort of mix a lot. Had in this yeah, song. There you go. <laughs> but but <laughs> I like big breaches and I cannot <laughs> 34, 36, 34, <laughs> Damn, <laughs> Cara. Damn. <bro>. <laughs> 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 Oh boy. Oh my god, yes. Yes, Queen Consolidation. <laughs> <laughs> my Dominators don't want none unless you got powers, huh? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, guys, that sounds totally um, enough. Off the rails. Oh, gosh. But uh, again, I, I think that they did a great job with that. You know, Alex coming out to her mom yeah, was that great was a good as well. Scene. That's a great scene. You know, and, and then going into The Flash, I mean, Cisco and Barry kind of working their thing out, you know, and and, and just
1: Oh, that was so hard. It man. was hard, was but so one thing hard. I
2: liked about this whole crossover was because everybody you know, Flashpoint affected every show. Yeah. You have people, whether it's Barry, whether it's Cisco, even Dr. Stein and what about like, Barry and Diggle. Right. Yeah. But still, but you have these certain characters and they've changed things. You know, mm-hmm. Stein has a daughter now because he told his younger self, hey, don't be focused on just your work. You know, enjoy have a family and stuff like that. But
1: I love that they made you think that Barry did that initially, right. and you find out that that wasn't the but case. But what I'm
2: saying is, is that there was that nice moment of realization between those characters. That yes, like, I'm no different than Barry. Yep. Why am I holding this grudge? Yep. It was a self realization moment. Of oh my god I've done this mm-hmm. you know and Sarah even brings us up of like you know how many times I tried to I want to go back in time she's like I have a ship that can travel time you know how, yep. how many times I can I want to change my sister dying but I don't do that and it's really interesting I gotta tell you some who I think stood out the, a lot in this and some people might disagree with me I, I love Steel Steel yeah. I, I he's made, quickly become one of my favorite characters
1: yeah and, and I gotta tell you the the way that they've worked him in. It's just, and, and he's become likable. And for me, it's Ray Palmer. I always go back to Ray Palmer. There's just something about Brandon Ralph, Which Routh, which,
2: man. which looks like his suit might be getting an upgrade. a yes. new
1: suit. And he's talked to Cisco. You know we've we've had a little back and forth right. there, so it'll be a nice it'll be nice to see him get a little upgrades. Just there's just something about it. he's just such a likable character, first of all, and, and he's not he's not a badass, but he has badass moments, right? Almost like on accident, right? You know, so it's just it's just really cool, and it's funny how that they're, they're from legends, which is funny.
2: But again, going back to what I said earlier, I'm like, okay, this is this could. Of course, spawn off. hey, every once a year, heading to around this time, the mid-season break, let's have a crossover event. Where do you think they can go now? They've done Invasion, they've done the Dominators. Where do you think they can go in terms of crossover? I mean, the easy... Do they... do... The easy answer is what? Crisis yeah, the that's the
1: easy answer. Uh, I don't know. The only way you can do that, though, is if you're going to end Arrow soon. Right. Like, if you're going to end it maybe next season, I could see them maybe doing that and twisting it to where it's not Barry that goes and it's Oliver that does. Mm-hmm. Because you know Christ's son, Infinite Nurse, you know, Barry Allen dies and Supergirl dies. You're not going to kill Supergirl, okay? So that's that's probably out. But if, it's, if they change it to where it's Oliver that not necessarily dies but goes or something happens to Oliver instead... Then I could see them doing that. Or if they're they're really confident in the characters that they have on The Flash, and you think Wally and Jesse can carry it for a season at least, or at least half a season, maybe Barry can go. Mm -hmm. I think it's eventually going to end up in crisis. I just don't know if they can do it now. But I've got a question for you that I think is going to be very interesting. Okay. Looking at just this crossover... And I and obviously we both enjoy the crossover. Is this crossover better than anything the DC movie universe has done, starting with Man of Steel?
2: Is that a question? Yes. Yeah, it is. And I gotta tell you, th- when I saw this, and it might be heresy to say, I thought I was up there with Avengers. Wow. I thought it was. Wow. I thought it really was. I'm not disagreeing with you necessarily. That's just that's high praise. And I'm not saying it's better. Okay, for people were gonna blast me, I'm not saying it's better. I'm saying it was on that level. But what I'm the point I'm trying to bring up I understand up what is, you're saying, yeah. The
1: point I'm trying to bring up is is that you can do this over here. Right, but you can't
2: do it over here. What's the pro- and I know it's a different tone, well, but you well, should still be well, able that's to. That's what happens when you have Zack Snyder at the head of one of them. And and I got and I will say this when I was watching this crossover last week, what was playing in my mind was this is what the DC movie universe should be. This is what it should be. You can have you. You don't have to be like we're going to be the anti Marvel and be all serious and nobody's going to smile. You know, it's like. No, you can have that. Like that's what I proved. It's like don't have to. You don't have to be different from your competitor. Shit, be like your competitor and say you know we're gonna have this type of thing because it made it enjoyable. You know, you want it to be more serious. It's fine.
1: I've got no problem with that at all. But you have to have the cohesive unit.
2: But here's dynamic. the dynamic. But here's the thing: if you want that seriousness, that's why you put in people like Batman, Green Arrow. Those serious characters, Aquaman now, you know, even if you want to, those serious characters because they will bring a balance to the light people of Wonder Woman and Superman and, hell, if you want to throw Green Lantern in there and Flash as well, you know, like, you meld all them in there, they balance each other out. Flash balances Green Arrow out,
1: just like Supergirl balances Flash out a certain way, and the dynamic of Legends alone—so many of those characters balance each other so well—and it, it it just shows you, it, it shows you the lack of balance on the cinematic side, which I guess really they haven't had much of a chance to get going. But one of the things that I loved about this is, is you're watching this and you're not saying, "Where's Constantine?" or "Where's right. Jesse?" You're not, you're not wondering where certain characters are because. They're doing such a good job with what they have that you're not looking in that direction.
2: Right, exactly. Which I
1: thought was a, a great thing. I mean, you see glimpses of, like, Vigilante for a second, and then there's a reason for that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But you don't find yourself longing for any characters. And when you're doing a crossover like this, it's easy to try and throw everybody in the pot, stir it up, and see and what, what dinner's going to taste like. You we'll know,
2: you know? wrap up in a little bit. But what I think that was actually really important, and they did this really well, too, was... You know, they mentioned the stuff with like with Caitlyn. All those small things, like Caitlyn being Killer Frost or anything else, everybody's had a mention of that. So they found a great way of getting all these little in- tiny bits of info, but they're important bits of info. And shared amongst this group, to where everybody's on the same page now.
1: And you allow people who you don't normally see to talk to the other characters about what's going on in that certain aspect of of that show's story, and maybe that changes it going forward. I mean, we know I know we had the mid season finales for a lot of the shows this week in the in the Arrow Flash Flarrow, whatever you want to call it. Verse Flarrow. Um, I, you gotta mix them all together at some point, but. So it'll be very interesting to see going forward on the mid-season premieres now how this crossover affects everything else for each individual show
2: going forward. That's going to do it for Nerd News to come next. We're going to be taking a trip back to the 1970s. That's right, we're going to be talking to writer Andy Mangels about Wonder Woman 77 meets the Bionic Woman from Dynamite and DC Comics. Stay tuned. That's coming up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Hi, this is Greg Rucca, comic book writer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: Well, Nick and I have talked about it on the show many, many times about how great Dynamite is with, with nostalgia, and then you just stir and mix a little DC, and you've got Wonder Woman 77 meets the Bionic Woman, and we have writer extraordinaire on the show this week of that series, Andy Mangels. Andy, how you doing, man?
0: Hey, uh, James and, and Nick, it's great to talk to you. I'm doing great. I just came back from my first signing for the book. Uh today is the day the book got released and uh so I went over to one of my favorite comic shops here in Portland, Oregon and did a did a signing there. There was a uh lovely cosplayer named uh, Sierra Blue. And she came dressed as Linda Carter Wonder Woman. So I actually had a Wonder Woman there with me for the signing of Wonder Woman meets Bionic Woman. Ah,
1: that's good stuff. you got to get all the atmosphere in there. And and we understand why fans are loving it, because, I mean, we've said this about... The, you've said this about your series on Twitter. This is kind of your love letter to Linda Carter and Lindsay Wagner. So what makes you love their specific characters
0: so much? You know, that that's something that, that a lot of people have a hard time pinning down, and, and uh, it's partially because the the physicality and, and the psychology of, ha- of what the actresses did um, meant different things to different people. I often joke that straight guys wanted them as their girlfriend, and lesbians might want them as their girlfriend, and 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 gay boys like me wanted them as their mother or, <laughs> a, or you know, a, a defender. And straight women were not threatened by them because they weren't using their sexuality in in a in any kind of way that was threatening. And then, you know, anybody from any political stripe could kind of understand them because they were working for the government and against bad guys. And, you know, I mean, it was just like, all around, they were acceptable and entertaining characters for everyone. But because of the time frame, there was also the fact that they were some of the first. Uh, you know, Linda Carter was the first female action superheroine lead on, on primetime television. Isis actually debuted um, just, just a short while before Wonder Woman did. But... Uh, but that was, of course, on Saturday mornings. So it was it was radical and revolutionary for a female super character on television at that point in time, or even in any kind of action mode.
2: Oh, exactly. And you know, something I'm glad that you shine a light on is the level of sexism that took place during that era in the '70s. So, how important is it? As a writer, to not shy away from a decade's dark corners and create teachable scenarios out of them.
0: Well, I actually address that head-on in the first issue. Um, the, there's a character uh, that uh, had previously appeared in the Bionic Woman, and I bring him back for a big scene where all the interagency groups are meeting, and and um, you know, it's it's all a bunch of government spooks, and the you know, Diana Prince and Jamie Summers and, and Eve, the assistant to, to the head of the IABC, are in the room and they're the only women. And um, this character kind of, you know, cracks some some rather sexist jokes and Diana Prince has to put him, <laughs> put him in his place. And, you know, it's one of those things that uh, a number of people who've reviewed the book have pointed that scene out, that it was made them really uncomfortable, but... Um, that it was absolutely important to the story that that happened, that, you know, that I actually address the, uh, the sexism that was going on back then and, and what kind of women, what the expectations were about what women could and couldn't do. And, you know, both Wonder Woman and the Bionic Woman didn't just show that, that they could be good super heroines. Uh, you know that they were that they were just as powerful as any other superhero. They also, as as characters, Diana Prince was absolutely uh, as good as or better than any other male agent. And you know, and Jamie Summers excelled at everything she tried. And you know, I mean, she started out as a top tennis, uh, a world ranked tennis player, and then and, and became a teacher. And you know, I mean, she just she was she was excellent at everything she did. There's that old old phrase with Ginger Rogers where where she said, uh, "You know, I have to do everything that that uh, Fred Astaire does, but in heels and backwards." Pretty <laughs> you know, much, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. There and, it is. You know, and and with Wonder Woman, sometimes she had heels, and Bionic Woman almost always wore flats, but they still had to deal with that same kind of struggle. Exactly.
1: Absolutely. Let's talk about those two characters specifically for a second, because one of the things that I love that you did is there was instant respect and rapport, not just between Wonder Woman and the Bionic Woman, but as their alter egos as well about midway through the book. So how important was it for you to tell the story that way and not make them rivals?
0: You know, every comic book from the dawn of time that that has has had two characters cross over with each other every single comic book out there has had them fight within you know within the, their first meeting at some point they get into a fight and they they misunderstand something or they think the other person's evil or they think the other person's the perpetrator or whatever they always end up fighting and then they they come to be friends and so forth i absolutely hate that trope it is, it is ridiculous and hackneyed, and, and there's no place for it in today's comic book world unless you're making fun of it. And so from the very beginning, when I was like, how do they meet the first time? I knew that not only at, at the start would they not fight, but I will, I will guarantee you in the six issues, they will not ever fight each other. They're not going to, that's not in their character to do. But I also wanted to have them meet in a situation where they're radically themselves, uh, which is they're helpers. Um, they they're not going out looking to punch things. They're going out looking to help people. And so by uh, having them respond to a to a, a an explosion at a building and an emergency and to help people out in a fire and and so forth, that was a way to show that just like the firemen that are that are later in the scene, um, they're there to help people, not just to punch bad guys in the face.
2: And you mentioned the explosion, of course, in every comic you have an antagonist, or in this case, antagonists, and in the first issue, Diana and Jamie are tasked with protecting a scientist from a terrorist group called Castra. So as the series progresses over these next five issues after the first issue is out now, how deep will we go into learning about Castro as a group? And what do you makes them the perfect antagonist for this type of series?
0: Well, it was, uh, actually Castro had started out as another group called fortress. And that was a a group that had shown up in one of the six million dollar man and bionic woman reunion movies. And I, as I came to find out from universal, that's, that's a, the reunion movies are a different license. So in order to feature characters or situations or settings from the reunion movies, we would have to, you know, license out those as well. And so obviously it was like, okay, well we need to create a new evil organization. And part of the point behind Castro is that it's a cabal. It's not one villain overlording things. It's not Baron Zemo or or the Red Skull or something like that overlording things. It is a group of villains not unlike, say, the Legion of Doom. And so what I wanted to do was bring together um, some of Wonder Woman and the Bionic Woman's rogues gallery from the television series and uh, have them find common purpose. And I think once fans see the link that is being built there, um, they they will immediately, like, yeah, okay, here's their, Here's what their common purpose is. In addition to that, there is at least one major villain character uh, is actually a character from the TV show who becomes a character from the comics.
1: We're talking to writer Andy Mangels of Wonder Woman 77 meets Bionic Woman from Dynamite and, of course, DC Comics, first issue available right now. Now, Andy, you did something really smart. In the beginning of issue one, that I love, where you did a side by side quick origin of
0: each <laughs> character. What was the thinking behind that? Uh, the thinking behind that was that there are people, and and this is borne out as as people have talked to me about the you know the issue today. Uh, there are people who watched Wonder Woman but never saw Bionic Woman, or vice versa. They they need a basic primer as to who and what they are. You know when I was growing up in in the I, I was born in sixty six so you know through the seventies and eighties comics would oftentimes have what's in the industry is called a legend at the top of page one, and that was like you know bitten by a radioactive spider Peter Parker is blah 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 blah, and it was like the one paragraph thing that told you who and what the character was and I miss those. You almost never see them nowadays. If you're lucky, you'll get like a what's happened before. Mm-hmm. Right, and yep, yep. On the inside on the cover, but you almost never get, you know, a concise uh, look at who and what things are. You know, I've been reading The Walking Dead since since it began. I'm, I have loved it Robert Kirkman's work since forever. But, you know, 100 some issues into it, I... And and you know when it's when it's anywhere from two weeks to a month between issues, I forget who some of the characters are and what situation they were in and things like that. So especially older minds need, <laughs> 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 yeah. they, yep, they need yep. some they need some reminders every now and then. Now who are they and what are they <laughs> what are they doing? And you know, and also there are there are things that I wanted to key in on in those recaps of who the characters are that will become important in terms of where uh, they're going in the course of the story. There are literally clues to where where the story is going in, on, on almost every page. Um, I'm not claiming to be Alan Moore with Watchmen, you know, with his grand design. <laughs> but there is there is a lot more subtext going on. And things going on that will once you once you read the whole thing that you know you'll go, Oh, oh that's what oh that okay, you know, and 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 you will know, okay, this is what that meant and this is where that was going and this is why this reaction happened and so forth.
2: Going back to what you just said about the the paragraphs, do you think that a lot of writers don't do that now because pretty much, you know, everybody knows Spider Man's origin. People know Batman's origin. Do you think it's because they believe that the readers kind of, they expect readers to know about the origin.
0: I, I think that's a part of it. Uh, I also think that a part of it is that storytelling has changed. Uh, we don't see word, or we don't see thought balloons as much anymore. We might see captions or things like that, um, but we don't see, see, see thought balloons. And so I think the legend at the top and, and the you know, thought balloons has changed partially because of writing and partially because of the way storytelling is told. But (laughs) there is, I I call it, uh, you know, decompressed storytelling where you've got, you know, things that used to happen in one issue or less now take six issues to tell because people are, are, are trying to get you to buy a trade paperback. And one of the things I wanted to do in this series was to uh, was to tell a story that is so dense and has so much material in it that that it would take you longer than three minutes to read, and and leave you wondering, well, what does this mean? What does that mean? Where's this Where's this thread going? And uh and and really in six issues tell six issues worth of story, not one issue's worth of story spread out.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Now, Andy, there of course have been many crossovers throughout the years. So if there is a crossover starring you, which comic, book char- which comic book character would you not want to be paired up with and why?
0: <laughs> would I not want to be paired up with? Right. Wow. I think I'm going to say uh, that the 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 anti-Brave and the Bold for me would be Star of the Conqueror. Uh, you know, because I, I, I'm a big guy, but I just, I, 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 I'm not anything next to a, to a 20 foot tall purple octopus with a single eye, <laughs> purple, purple with a single eye.
1: not sitting next who to that guy in the invisible mine? jet. I'm sorry. Not sitting next to that guy in the invisible jet.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, like who wants to hang out with a giant purple starfish?
1: <laughs> That's fair. That's absolutely I mean, give,
0: fair. Give me Herbie the Robot from Fantastic Four any day. I'd totally deal with Herbie more than, more than Star of the Conqueror.
2: <laughs>
1: well, on the other side of the coin and, and stuff that people maybe would want to see maybe yourself, how tempting is it, Andy, to add Steve Austin to the mix at some point, make it a triple crossover, and how do you think his relationship would be with Steve Trevor?
0: Well, you know... The Actually, you don't know, but now you will. The original pitch for this was Wonder Woman meets the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman. And I actually even did a mock-up cover with all three of them on there. Uh, each of them oh, like Wonder man. Woman was in a red, red stripe and Steve Austin was in a white stripe and Jamie was in a blue stripe or something like that. And that was the original pitch, but Universal's... Uh, choice was, you can have one hero or the other, oh. and, and and I really I really felt that the uh, the importance of what what Jamie and Diana stood for in 1970s television and the importance that they that they actually still hold for many people, uh, it was it was far more important to to play on that and to explore explore what would have happened had they actually met than it would be just to have a, an event, you know, a cool adventure story with Steve Austin that said um, the, Steve Austin's presence uh, will be felt in the series and uh, but I can't say how and um, there is a discussion to be had about Steve and Steve um, that Diana and Jamie will have so that'll be that'll be coming up in a
1: future issue. Interesting. I mean, Very that, be, interesting. that being said, you, you made the right decision. It was definitely the right call. <laughs> Good.
0: Good.
2: And uh, you know, Andy, Judith Tondora I think did a great job capturing the essence of both the characters and the era of the nineteen seventies. So what is it about her work
0: that excites you the most going forward? Well, Judith is a, is a, she's not a new artist, but she's new to new to comics. She's done, you know, jo- little jobs here and there for grim fairy tales and things like that. Mm-hmm. But this is really her first major exposure. And uh, the way I found her was, uh, I used to work for Innovation Comics back in the 90s, and David Campiti was the head of innovation. Nowadays, he runs a, a, a worldwide talent agency for comic book creators called Glasshouse Graphics. And so I went to him and I said, hey, are there any artists that you have who are great at likenesses, who have a good storytelling sense, um, who aren't just going to be copying photos, but they actually will tell stories uh, utilizing likenesses, and preferably who is a woman, or who are women. <laughs> you know, in case you had like five artists of, of that nature. Mm-hmm. And he says, I think I have the perfect person for you. So he had to do some samples. And and the first samples didn't re- you know, weren't quite like there, but you could see. And then she does another set of samples, and they were much better. Um, you could see that they were that she she understood the point of of drawing comic book versions and having the likeness be there, but not it not having it be a photo re- you know, a, a clear photo reference. And then I saw some some sample pages she had done for Dark Horse's Ghost, and the storytelling was really quite good. And so I so I said, let's give her a shot on this. And and you know, there's uh, uh, issue two is heads and shoulders above issue one in terms of of art. And I think that by the time she gets to the end of issue six, uh, it'll it'll be you know some. Re- some truly astonishing art, and uh, that she'll probably have contracts being thrown at her from DC and Marvel.
1: Guys, that's why you want to add this book to your poll. you got to go to your local comic shops and add Wonder Woman 77 meets the Bionic Woman from Dynamite, and of course DC Comics, available at your digital retailers as well. I mean, hey, that's your thing. Writer Andy Mangles, thank you so much for joining us to talk about this great series this week.
0: Thank you, both uh, James and Nick, and uh, for both your support and uh, fun time talking with you.
2: Well, James, I know if you're ever given a crossover, my first choice, of course, is Captain Planet. Oh,
1: that would be awful. It would just be me with resting bitch face the entire <laughs> the entire book,
2: show, movie, whatever. It'd be like, come on, James, I gotta save the environment. Fuck the environment, man. I don't want to do this. You no, got- I
1: don't want to do this. By the way, here, catch this trash over <laughs> the cliff. <Claire. laughs>
2: you know he can fly, right? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Your hate for Captain Plant knows no bounds. No, but, it doesn't. But our love for Wonder Woman and Bionic Woman issue one was fantastic. I think it was again. And we talked to Andy about this off air. You know, I was born '88. I'm 28 years old. I didn't grow up a Linda Carter Wonder Woman. I didn't grow up a Bionic Woman. So, this is a great introduction for somebody like myself who didn't grow up in the 70s and have those, you know, and you were on the tail end of it. And, I know, was very too.
1: much on the tail end of the 70s, but at least I got lucky in that once I started, you know, getting into the age where, you know, you start watching TV and you actually get into shows and find out what what they are, it, that was the syndication era for those shows, you know, so I got to see definitely more Wonder Woman than Bionic Woman, but I was familiar with all that, and even the, the $6 million man with Steve Austin and stuff like that, that's why I asked. And I'm
2: glad that he actually mentioned that, like, yeah, my original idea was to have the three of them meet up and everything else, and, you know, I'm like, that could work as, like, a after this six-issue limited series, if you want to do, like, a one-shot where mm-hmm. three of them meet or whatever, or or, or a four-issue series or what have you, that'd be fine as well.
1: I, I think that would be great. And, and it's because that you just by reading this first issue, you know this is going to be a hit. Right. How could you not love this? I mean, especially if you love—if you're a fan of those shows anyway, or if you're just a Wonder Woman fan or a Bionic Woman fan— you're going to love this, but even if you didn't grow up watching that or you don't have a familiarity with that, the book is done so well. You can fall in love with these characters
2: just on the surface of this issue alone. And, of course, if you love our show, we're all over Facebook, facebook.com, slash Nerdy. We're also on Twitter, at down and nerdy 757 I'm at Merck with one arm, the one is spelled out. Same thing for Instagram as well, James. I'm at James Ace Witham.
1: That's W-I-T-H-A-M. All of this info and a whole lot more, by the way, are on at DownAndNerdyPodcast.com. You can listen to this week's show and follow along with every little thing we've got going on. You can find out what we're reading this week. And you can find out what we reviewed as far as trailers are concerned, all the nerd news stuff. Just, It's a nice little guide in this week's section. Of course, the comics that we reviewed on our actual website are up there as well. What did you review
2: this week? I reviewed yeah. Hookjaw number 1 from Titan Comics. That's
1: right. And I went the Dark Horse, right? Shadows of the Grave. i got to tell you, pretty interesting stuff. I wish I could say the th- same thing about
2: mine. Well, you know. But I can't. <laughs> That's going to do it, everybody. We'll see you next week. And as always... Practise safe combo greeting. Always bag and board your comics.